House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. So today we're getting into conspiracy a little bit, and we're going to talk about um, Bill Cooper, or William Cooper, some people know him. He used to do a mm -hmm. lot of shortwave radio. Okay, so... Joining yeah. us today is Mark J. Oh, the, smears, the smears and distortions start immediately. That's right. That's right. we got to get this disinformation stopped. Yes. Yes, yeah. that's true. That, uh, everywhere. That's, that, that's, that's your CIA name. Yeah. That's, that's true. That's my government name. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> but my real name is Mark Dickinson. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, say. I mean, I, I just feel like, you know, Everybody calls everybody all kinds of things, and then you feel like, well, if I'm a member of the CIA, where's my paycheck, you know? <laughs> That's why I'm not getting paid. So, um, in any event, um, you know, uh, yeah, I wrote a book called Behold, uh, Pale Horse Rider, Behold the Pale Horse, the only book he ever wrote. And um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a book that uh, was published in 1991, with a press run of 3,500, 500 in paperback, no, 500 hardcover, 3,000 paperback. It has now sold over 300,000 copies, which is a kind of astounding amount of, uh, of copies for a book like that to sell. Yeah. Um, it also became, uh, this is not even counting, um, that's a very small portion of the, of the, uh, audience of this book, considering it became the most read book in the prison systems, of, certainly east of the Mississippi River. And um, other things that cut into the sales numbers of Behold the Pale Horse is that it, for at least 20 years, it was the number one most stolen shoplifted book in Barnes and Nobles. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> what a distinction, and, huh? And you still, to this day, you cannot buy it on the shelf. You have to go to the cashier, and he has it behind the counter, and he will give you a copy. Because as I asked one of these guys, he said, well, that book's got a habit of walking out all by itself. So, you know, it's a, it's a unique it's a unique uh, work, Behold the Pale Horse. I think that anybody that's familiar with it knows that, that's for good or ill. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Oh, that's sort of like uh, Listerine up in the uh, Seattle area. You got you got to ask for it. It's behind the counter now. <laughs> Listerine is behind the counter. Yeah, because too many, too many people are drinking it, so they put it behind the counter here. Oh wow, I did not know that. Yeah, you have can't to ask you just, for can't it. You, can't you just go to a liquor store and get booze if you feel like you want to get drunk? <laughs> Why would you but drink it, Listerine? Yeah, but it doesn't leave you minty fresh, though. I only report the news. I don't live it. <laughs> well, God bless you. Um, you know. well, well, I mean, Sudafed is still behind the counter, I think. Yeah, well. Because people are making crack out of them or whatever. I don't know. You can't win. It's sort of like so, the slightly better than Walter White version, you know, so. What made you write this about Cooper? Um, like, what drew you to well, him? Well, I mean, Cooper. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I'm I don't know what generation you guys are from, but I'm 70 years old. So, um, you know, we grew up with all this stuff about Kennedy assassination and stuff.
stuff like that, and people getting assassinated every couple of weeks, you know. And um, there was a lot of stuff around in the in the air about, well, who really did all this stuff, you know? I mean, yeah, the Kennedy assassination is the crime of the century. I don't think anybody would really dispute that, that it's the crime of the century. Here, the president, not only just any president, but the president that's carrying the hopes and dreams of the American Republic, this young, beautiful guy with his fabulous-looking wife, and he gets shot right in full view of everybody, like thousands of people are standing there, and somehow nobody can figure out who did it. So, um, you know, and uh, I would give you a nickel for everybody that if you walked out and see, into the to Seattle right now and asked everybody you found if they believe that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone killed John Kennedy the way it says in the Warren Commission I don't think you'd find too many <laughs> I don't no. think you'd find too many no. so um, <clears throat> you know you're dealing with this kind of like like I was born in 1948 so you know when I was reading the Weekly Reader in fifth grade and like that I mean mm -hmm. there wasn't anything that the government said that wasn't the truth nothing <laughs> you know if the military said something they that was what it went you know that you know that people would just believe right. it because they just won the war and you know they were people didn't have the kind of feeling that like everybody's lying to us so there was a bunch of things that happened um that began to change that and i think the flying saucer business was one of the first for sure because here is this thing in the sky that people are actually seeing and they, you know, then they also had these very strong emotional responses to being abducted by these guys. And the government is telling you that it doesn't exist. So, you know, you don't want, you know, you can't really believe that. And then also, when you put that together with the Kennedy assassination, that they can't find the guy who killed them, you know, this is, this breeds distrust. And a guy like Bill Cooper was somebody who really felt this in a very visceral way. Um, because he went to, he was a Vietnam soldier from a military family, totally gung ho. You know, he goes to Vietnam, he, he volunteers to fight in the front lines, he's a riverboat captain, like, just like an apocalypse now, you know, it's the same old stuff, you know, it's like, it's hot in there, you know, and, and all of a sudden he begins to realize that this thing that he's supposed to be fighting for, freedom, was not really that at all, and, um, you know, he thinks that uh, he's been lied to and betrayed, and his greatest his greatest ideals have been betrayed. And uh, I think that uh, you know, I was looking for. I had this deep feeling that sort of started up. I don't know, sometime after nine eleven, because I covered a lot of people that didn't really uh, believe the story, the official story of nine eleven. I don't say I believe in what they say either, but. And we just said, like, one of these kind of things that was so widespread that I couldn't believe it. You know, it was, like, kind of shocking to me as somebody who grew up in the so-called Enlightenment that there were so many people that didn't believe things that I thought were just common knowledge, you know. So I began to think, like, well, they're not just all nuts because I know a lot of them and I like them. So why do they think that way? And I was um, <clears throat> trying to uh, look for a focus for the thing, and then Bill Cooper came up. Bill Cooper is a kind of played a weird role in my life, just kind of marginally because um, you know I met somebody who had a copy of Bill Cooper's version of the Zapruder film, 
which I guess hope I hope people remember what this is. Um, no, and, uh, no, no. Well, we do. Well, well, you do. I mean, for for people that might not, I mean, there's only one there's only one photographic record of the Kennedy assassination, which was shot by a clothing man, a children's clothing manufacturer named Abraham Zapruder, who happened to just happened to be shooting at the time that Kennedy got shot. And um, so, and this film was not able to be seen for years and years and years. It was purchased. Um, this is something that most people, a lot of people, don't know. This um, that the Time Life Company, um, who at that time was being run by C. D. Jackson, who was a very firm member of the OSS and CIA, took a 50-year option on this and gave Abraham Zapruder $150,000 to give him the film. So you couldn't even see it. And then, uh, but there were bootleg copies floating around. Later on, a couple of years later, I was walking down the street in my neighborhood in Brooklyn, and I happened to run into uh, the guy from the Wu-Tang Clan, Old Dirty Bastard. Um, I hope everybody knows who that is. Um, and, and, <laughs> and he was reading a copy of Behold the Pale Horse, which I didn't really know much about. I only knew that it existed. And... Um, so this kind of struck me as just something that I, that I kept in the back of my mind that, like, here is this kind of uh, guy with Bill Cooper, for people who don't know, I and mean, he's this overweight, you know, ex-military guy with a, with a kind of, like, uh, um, wearing a flannel shirt, lives in the middle of Arizona on the top of a remote, in a remote little town in Arizona, and yet everybody in Harlem is reading his book. So I was thinking, like, well, this is uh, kind of how did that happened. So that's when I began to get interested in the whole thing, and I found it to be a very long and, and interesting story. Yeah, but, you know, it, it has a way of holding your interest because he doesn't just beat one topic to death. He kind of ties a lot of things together. Oh, he's a brilliant guy. I mean, you know, that's, that's the thing that kept me going with the book because – He's really sharp. I mean, you know, um, not all so-called conspiracy, conspiracy theory guys, if you want to call them that, or truth tellers or whatever you want to call them, are all made the same. Some are better than others. I mean, some of these guys are terrible. They don't have anything interesting to say. But Bill Cooper was a genius of the form and just brilliant. And some of the stuff he came up with, I'm thinking, well, if it's not the truth, so it certainly sounds good to me. <laughs> You know, it's way better than anything John McCloy or somebody from the from the permanent government would ever tell you. So um, you know, these kind of things they begin to take on a life of their own. And um, you know, since truth, the nature of truth, and even what this country is supposed to be about, as we've been seeing over the past couple of weeks and over months, I mean, it's totally up for grabs. So um, you know, people don't know what's going on really in a lot of ways. So we're looking for little shreds of truth that uh, might inform them, inform their opinions so they don't feel as... I mean, it's nothing more anxiety-producing than not knowing what's going on. You know, <laughs> I mean, not knowing who's in charge or what you're supposed to be doing. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very upsetting. And, and I think that like, in the current uh, situation with all the tech stuff, you know, for people my age, I don't know what's going on. The idea that I can go on a radio program like yours and say, follow me on Instagram, 
which is a pale horse rider book, by the way, I mean, it's like unthinkable to me. It's very strange. <laughs> so, you know, that's how I grew up. And, you know, even yeah. as recently, a few years ago, I, didn't, I never heard of Instagram. So, you know, what did I tell you? Now, a, a lot of his conspiracies, though, that he covers in, in his book, uh, he, he's able to tie them all together. But, I mean, how, was, how were they received at the time, when, when the book first came out? Well, that's, that's a really good question. Actually, I've been thinking about that recently, because I mean, when you think about a guy like Bill Cooper, I mean, you think about who was he then? which is what you're asking about, mm, and who yes. is he now, you know, what does he mean now, you know, and I think that he means more now maybe than he did then, but, um, you know, his ability to move from one, see, I, I think that basically what you're talking about, this big, gigantic one theory kind of thing, is that he's somebody who really sees everyday life as a, as a kind of duke out between good and evil, so, um, you know, and that's, Kind of a lot of people, a lot of people feel that way. I feel like that way increasingly more every day. <laughs> you know, but I, the idea of like who's good and who's evil seems to switch around all the time, so you never really know. So, um, it's, uh, and he, he was able to do that because I mean, I think he was looking for, there's only the, the thing that makes him seem consistent and which really is consistent about him and the reason why I could stay interested in him for all those years when I was writing that book is that He's he's a seek he's a seeker he's an American seeker he's not, not some bullshit artist or like a I mean he told a lot of stuff that wasn't true but he's not his first declension is not bullshit art you know he's not somebody who's just doing it for the money even though he's always desperate for money and um, and he's 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 kind of like an artist of this material and um, you know his feeling was that there's something mess there's something wrong what is it so that's his that's his overriding concern. So that's why he's able to move. Well, most of most of those guys, you go and like they got the flying saucer thing. They never come off flying saucers. That's what they that's what they think about. Um, so Bill Cooper went through flying saucers. Then he went through secret societies. Then he was in the militia kind of thing, and all these different things. And he kept looking for the, the same thing, like the cause of evil in the universe. And mm -hmm. you know, he eventually came to the thing that. Most people do is that like you know there's a there's a there's a bad news cat out there named Lucifer and he's messing things up and um, you know Cooper has his one of his greatest speeches is in that Portersville uh, presentation you can get it online I mean he's he's I mean he's just a fantastically emotional speaker I mean I, I when he's when he's on he's great he's not always on so. Um, but, uh, you know, he says, like, you know, I, no, but I spent my whole life looking for the devil. I've been everywhere looking for the devil, you know, and now I finally found him. And Cooper, and he looks at the audience, you know, uh, it was in a VFW basement or something like that. I don't know where it was. And he slams his, his hand on his chest and he goes, I finally found him. He's in there, <laughs> you know, and um, which is like, you know, that's. I mean, you can read a hundred levels of Kierkegaard and you won't get to that. I mean, you know, he's a very sharp guy. You know, he's very smart. And like, and I found him to be sort of like a, you know, he's like an interesting. You know, I don't mean to say this in any way, shape, or form to look down on the guy because I think he's a genius of a sort. Um, but 
you know, he's like, he's like a philosophical soul. You know, he's like uh, somebody, you don't need to go to college to understand what Bill Cooper's saying. And what he's saying is a very complicated and interesting thing. So I think a lot of people, you know, gravitate towards that. What do you think of him as compared to uh, someone like Alex Jones um, today? Uh, because, well, like, um, you see, with, with, with Cooper, he had uh, the military and he had some some uh, intelligence background and <laughs> yes. uh, seemed to be more realistic. Um, you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, no, he's, well, he's a far more authentic figure, you know. I mean, authenticity is very important in these kind of things. I mean, you know, he's, he was there, you know, he was in Vietnam. He was in military intelligence. I don't know. I mean, I don't think you'd ever be able to prove how much he actually learned when he was there. Because I, you know, who knows what he saw and what he didn't see. But, um, you know, according to him, he saw everything. But um, the uh, that kind of thing, and also the fact that Jones went to school on Cooper. There's no doubt about that. He would be uh, sitting there in his growing up in his little frat boy house in the in um, Austin, Texas, and he'd listen to Bill Cooper all the time, you know. And he would Cooper was kind of his idol, so he kind of built on that whole thing. And um, I think that I don't know. Alex Jones is not interesting to me. I, I don't think I've ever really ever listened to a whole Alex Jones show because you know I don't want to buy all his products he's trying to sell me. I don't want to do all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I, I think it's really kind of un- outrageous. You know, I'm, I'm a First Amendment guy, man. I, I don't think I should be able to do anything to him, even Facebook or any of those people. But on the other hand, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, there's a certain degree of human decency that you don't go around telling people whose children have just been murdered that that, that didn't happen, you know? I mean, it's just not right. You know, I don't think Bill Cooper would ever do a thing like that. I mean, never in a million years, you know, um, because he's, you know, he had children, he cared about them, and, you know, he's just not that kind of person. I mean, he's he's actually, uh, you know, I think he's a very difficult person to be around, but I think he's basically a decent person, you know? And uh, I don't know what kind of personality Jones is, but I mean, some of the stuff he does, I mean, you gotta raise your eyebrows, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, there's a limit, you know. I mean, I, I'm all, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, I don't yeah. know how you guys feel about that. So, so back then, do you, do you think that Bill Cooper was considered an actual threat to the government, which eventually led to his demise? Well, it's a complicated issue in the sense that um, you know that, I mean, did you happen to get a chance to look at the book? Uh, actually, I've read uh, Pale Horse, but I have not had an opportunity to read yours. Well, then, then you should get off as soon as you get off the show. Go out there and buy a <laughs> copy immediately. But, uh, I mean, I mean, Bill Cooper is like, you know, was he, was the, was the government afraid of Bill Cooper? It was on a, a shortwave radio show. Um you know, to meet, reach, you know, he used to claim he had 10 million listeners, but I don't think it was even close to that. But, um, you know, were they worried about him? Um, I don't, I doubt it. You know, I mean, he was, they, what they wanted him for was he didn't pay his taxes. You know, he didn't pay his taxes. So, um, and I spoke to the FBI agent who was, had the case, right? I mean, I actually did my research. I told Cooper fans supposed to tell you to do. I did my research and I talked to the FBI guy, which 
And uh, he said, well, you know, we were, didn't know what to do about Bill Cooper because he was up on top of the hill. And, um, you know, he says that he's not coming down. He's going to shoot it out with people. And we had just gone through Ruby Ridge and Waco, and they, you know, screwed up royally in Waco. They murdered those people, you know. They weren't necessarily interested in doing that again, even for publicity, you know, PR mm -hmm. reasons. So they, you know, they more or less said, well, let him stay up there if he wants to stay up there. The FBI was, was not involved in the shooting of Bill Cooper. I mean, regardless of what the uh, people on the Internet seem to believe, I mean, he just they just weren't there. And there's a 320-page uh, police report released by the by the Arizona, by the Apache County Sheriff's Office and the Arizona... Highway Patrol that described the entire murder, unless, unless it's all lies. Um, you know, the FBI was nowhere around. You know? So, you know, what happened, I mean, you can read the book and people know what happened. It's not that secret. I mean, he was like, it was a local people that, you know, he had, he had gone down, and this is completely in dispute. I'm not saying that which story I necessarily believe, but I mean, he, he had local charges against him because he had threatened this guy who happened to be, who's currently the head of the Mormon stake in, in that part of the state. You know, it was like the wrong guy to, to mess with, sort of. And, um, and, you know, he's a big shot in the Mormon church. And, you know, after that, they had to do something. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, everybody figured, like, well, Bill's just, you know, the... You know, he's, he's cool. He's up there on the mountain. He's not hurting nobody. So, you know, he chased people off his property all the time. But, you know, you know he didn't <laughs> hurt anybody. But now they've been in a situation where they had to do something. So, you know, they did what they did. And, you know, I think that it was like there was any, any kinds of lawsuits about what happened that night because the detective, or the, or the uh, policeman who Cooper actually shot later sued the Apache County Sheriff's Office for putting him in a situation he never should have been in because, um, you know, it was not, he wasn't properly trained to be in a shootout in the middle of the night. I mean, so, you know, there were screw-ups screw left and right, you know, like there always are. Oh, yeah. Now, um, jumping topics here, um, Cooper actually addressed the Oklahoma City bombing. Did he ever meet McVeigh? Well another one of those Bill Cooper things. I mean, yes, Bill Cooper, the, that, was another, that was one of the main reasons I called the FBI guy to begin with, because the FBI interviewed Bill Cooper about Timothy McVeigh after the bombing. And um, what they wanted to know was whether Cooper had actually met McVeigh. And um, Cooper told, Cooper, Cooper told the FBI agent basically the same story that he told um, the hour of the time audience on several occasions, two at least I can remember right now. Um, that I mean, two guys, two guys out of nowhere, two guys came to Bill Cooper's studio where he was doing the out of hour of the time broadcast in at that time in St. John's, Arizona, and um, they wanted to talk to Bill Cooper because they were re really big fans of Bill Cooper's. And Timothy, that, there's no doubt that Timothy McVeigh and Michael Fortier and these kind of guys and whoever, whatever, whatever number of John Doe's you want to come up with, if people know what I'm talking about, uh, they all listen to Bill Cooper. 
like Terry Nichols, he listened to Bill Cooper. I mean, and Bill Cooper was, they loved Bill Cooper. And, and kind of the, the idea was that these two guys had more or less came, driven an extra couple hundred miles to ask Bill Cooper's advice about what they should do. This is before the bombing. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the guys who was described by Cooper and also by the FBI agent as a taller, skinnier guy, um, didn't do very much talking. The other guy, um, the squatter guy with a black hat, did most of the talking. And uh, he was asking, you know, like, you know, they're going to do something, and like, you know, would Cooper support them? And Cooper said, "Well, you got to tell me what you're going to do before you ask me if I'm going to support you." And, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and, And they wouldn't say, so he said, well, you know, look, nice of you guys. I'm glad you like my show, but I mean, I can't really talk to you anymore. So the other guy jumped up and hadn't said anything. And he said that, uh, well, you know, if you get stopped in the road by a policeman, should you shoot him? And Cooper said, "Uh, what do you mean? You know, I mean, like sort of, he got stopped for speeding or something. So Cooper couldn't believe it. Why would you shoot somebody just if he stopped you for speeding? And he said, well, you know, I mean, just in case, you know, so like, uh, and Cooper said, look, just take your ticket and go on your way, right? And um, later, actually, after the bombing, you know, if you're somebody who's a believer that Timothy McVeigh, you know, acted alone with, with the help of Terry Nichols, I mean, which is a whole different issue. Um, you know, he was just driving away from the place. I mean, here's a guy who just killed 168 people more, you know, allegedly. And he has no license plate on his car. So, I mean, if you want to get stopped by the police, I mean, I would say that was a good way to do it, you know. <laughs> so he got stopped. And um, and this guy, the, the story is not a secret. Everybody can read it anywhere. Um, this guy um, who was just a highway patrol guy, I think his name was Charlie Hanger, <laughs> of all names. And um, he was going to more or less, he was just kind of fooling around. McVeigh, you know, had a had a loaded gun in his, in his um, shoulder holster. And he could have shot that guy really easy and just gone on his way. 168, 169, what's the difference if that's what's happening? But he didn't do that. He kind of took Bill Cooper's advice. And um, he, you know, was real friendly to the cop. And the cop eventually figured out that, you know, it's a longer story than this. But they eventually figured out that's Timothy and that's how McVeigh got caught. So, um, you know, yes, I mean, and, and Cooper often said that McVeigh and this other guy, Michael Brescia, who was the shorter guy that I mentioned, had uh, implants in their, under their skin. And Michael Brescia told um, Cooper that, the army knows everything we're doing. They're kind of telling us what to do. And ah. uh, McVeigh said, McVeigh said, and Brescia's thing was in the show, I think in the shoulder, but McVeigh's was in his ass. And he pulled down, <laughs> this, this is Bill Cooper's story. I'm not making this up. Um, he said that McVeigh pulled, pulled down his pants and offered that Cooper, if he wanted to steal the, the implant in his, in his buttocks, he would be able to do that. And Cooper demurred on that. He wasn't really into it. So, um, <laughs> I, can't say I, I mean, you know, I mean, when you, I mean, I thought this would be all fascinating, you know, but, um, you know, a lot of people that I know, see, I live in Brooklyn. People said, well, why are you wasting your time writing about this guy, Bill Cooper? He's obviously a nut. So I said, well, he may be a nut, but he's really an interesting nut. I mean, you know, and I think he's saying something that's interesting about the country and about the way people feel about the way things are, the way things are right now. Yeah, so I in mean, a lot of ways, 
as, yeah, as humorous as it sounds, I mean, this is a man that has got people driving hundreds of miles for him to look for an implant in their buttocks. I mean, say, I mean, say what you want. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, everybody, everybody, each to his own, right, what they want to think about these stories. But these are the stories, you know, I mean, this is the story. Whether you believe it or not, it's up to you. Now, now, now beyond, beyond his radio show, what would make McVeigh and his partner feel safe, you know, to come to him? Was it his words or was there a sympathetic tone in Cooper's shows? I mean, why him? Now, some people would say that Cooper was almost a, a leader in the militia movement, but I don't necessarily buy that. Why? I wouldn't buy it either, but everything I found out. <laughs> you know, his militia didn't have any people in it. <laughs> I mean, he didn't have any membership in his militia. He was the second arm, second uh, continental arm of the Republic, Scar. And there's never been, to my knowledge, it's never served so many people that are actually, you know, actually in this militia, you know. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, Bill Cooper's a, he's, um, I hate to say this, but I mean, you know, you have to really pick through this stuff because, uh, I mean, I, I think right now people believe that Cooper is some kind of fantastic prophet, and he certainly was prophetic. There's no doubt about it. He's a prophetic person. But, mm -hmm. I mean, there was, you know, there was another side of him, which was sort of like I call him the P.T. Barnum of dread, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you got this, and I think that's what really what makes him interesting because, you know, he's half a showman, half a prophet, you know, you know, probably two-thirds or three-quarters of paranoid, but he's an American. He's 100% American, which is, you know, that's my concern. I'm interested in Americans. That's the kind of thing that I like to write about and think about. I mean, what does it mean to be an American? And um, I think, as I said before, I think it's a little up for grabs now. And it's really too bad because, you know, anybody who has taken any conspiracy 101 knows that divide and conquer is the first rule of the ruling class, you know. So how mm -hmm. can you fall for this crap, you know? You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just... You know, am I supposed to care about if this guy Kavanaugh gets in or not? I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, I care, obviously, but I mean, you know, uh, you know what I mean? It just seems like everybody's so quick to pick up sides on everything that it, to nothing ever gets, nothing substantive ever ever comes out of any of these dialogues. No, it's really I, too bad because a lot of people could benefit from just talking to somebody they think they disagree with. Well, you, now you mentioned prophecy and 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 prophetic. And did he not basically, for the most part, did he not prophesy that nine eleven was going to happen? Well, he said, um, "Yeah, I would say yeah, I would say yeah." I mean, uh, you know, it's so uh, you know, if you would ask me flat out to make a deposition about whether he predicted nine eleven, I think it's there's a lot of different things with it, but but he's. That, what he said, the thing about Osama bin Laden and all that stuff like that that people always quote, that's as close as I ever saw. You know, that's as close as I ever saw for somebody predicting what was likely to happen. And then also, and, and the thing that's interesting, and I try to make a point of this in my book, is that what, if you just fast forward from the day that Cooper makes that prediction, which is June 28, 2001, 
2001. Then you go to nine, September 11, 2001. Bill Cooper's on the radio the entire day. In fact, that's the day they were supposed to come get him. <laughs> but they, they canceled, they canceled the, uh, the raid because it was 9-11 and nobody knew what to do. And, uh, and plus he was on the radio. So if they came and tried to arrest him while he's on the radio, that's not gonna, that's not gonna work. <laughs> so, um, and, uh, anyhow, so what Cooper said, which really was the thing to me, which was more, even more significant than predicting it in a way, because he was listening to the BBC, he's playing the BBC feed of, of, of the events of that day, right? And, um, and they have Richard Pearl. You know, people know who Richard Pearl is. Mm-hmm. He was one of those Bush guys who was, um, he, he was a big backer of the SDI, this billion dollar space wars thing you know, they were try, trying to do. And, um, you know, he's, he's a neocon. He's the one behind, partially behind the Iraq war and all that stuff like that. He's talking to him and, uh, the former prime minister of Israel, Ahud Barak. And they're talking about how this is maybe two o'clock in the afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon, New York time, and the things are sort of like four or five hours after the towers have fallen. And, um, they're discussing about, well, you know, we know that it's Osama bin Laden and, uh, you know, we think that, you know, we're going to have to take him out, you know, and Cooper breaks in to the radio transport. He says, how do they know? How do they know it's him? You know, because, you know, the, the gimmick, what they're saying basically is this came out of nowhere. Nobody knew what was going to happen. You know, we're completely taken by surprise. And all the guys who flew the building, planes to the building are all dead. So how do they know? Who's telling them that Osama bin Laden is in, in charge? So then he kind of proved his own his own uh, prediction that way, and I found that to be kind of like you know I don't think anybody else ever seen it. Like you could go through a million of these idiot correspondents on the TV or radio, and nobody did that. I mean, he's the one that did it, so you know you got to give him his props for that. <laughs> he's got a good point. How, how did they know? So how did they know? Right how did away? they know? Unless they they've know? got information that they weren't sharing, which is again likely. Well, I mean, you know, who, I mean, you're never going to find out. That's one thing. That's the one thing that's the, the the red herring about conspiracy. The thing that makes it great, and the thing that makes it kind of pointless. You're never going to find out. You won't find out. You know, you can have a million opinions, but you know, it's not likely that you're actually going to find out what really happened because you've got really for- strong forces, including your own faulty memory and lack of cognition, that are keeping you from finding out exactly what happened. So, you know, but that's just humanity. That's just the way we're constructed, I think. And, uh, you know, Bill Cooper, I mean, he just stood out there and he um, he didn't have any kind of... You know, he didn't have too many. He was he was a flamboyant guy. He liked to perform, and he didn't have any of these uh, kind of inhibitions about saying what he thought was on his mind. So, you know, most people might think these stuff and not bother to say anything, but he was going to say something, and he did. So, so uh, there's a lot of food for thought, especially now. Well, he also didn't he also Cooper talk about the uh, uh, wasn't his point about CNN being able to interview Bin Laden. Um, just a few years before nine eleven. Yeah, no, that well, that's his point. You know, if, if this guy was so 
dangerous and hidden. I mean, how does CNN interview him? You know, how does how does George Bush fly his entire family out of the country three hours after this thing happens? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that is so completely unexplained and just ignored. And the media guys, which you know, I'm not going to knock the media like what people do, because I've been doing this for 45 years <laughs> in my job. So, um, you know, but, you know, it, it's uh, it's hard to figure out what happened. Like, they never answered why they flew Bin Laden's Laden relatives out of the country after that. Why would they do that? If they thought that, he, that they, wouldn't they be good witnesses if he was really the guy, you know? What Cooper called for, which was the right thing to call for, especially in light of the way they got rid of him, some of them wanted by killing him, you know, maybe, and throwing his body over the water, the water maybe, um, is, uh, you know, get the guy, bring him back, you know, put him in Washington, put him on trial, you know, like the way the Constitution says, you know, innocent until proven guilty, and put him on trial, I mean, you know, and, and get to the facts of the matter. So that's what Bill Cooper said. He didn't say go over there and kill him, you know, that's what the other guys want them to do. So, you know, I mean, I, but he was pretty much by the book and when it came when it comes to constitutionality. I mean, he had a kind of, uh, I wouldn't want him for a Supreme Court judge, but, uh, you know, <laughs> he was pretty straight down the line on this, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, I have mixed feelings about his, a lot of the stuff he said, but, I mean, as a character, he's stellar. And, and what about his death? Uh, how did that happen? He he ended up shooting a deputy, and he got shot himself. Yeah, what happened was, um, well, basically, what happened. Um, a, a good way to find out the whole thing is to look at the documentary called "The Hour of Our Time," which I think you probably find online, which was made in cooperation with Doyle Shamley, who is uh, was Cooper's friend and confidant at the time. Um, but. Uh, you know, basically, um, Cooper was up on top of the hill, and um, he's doing his radio broadcast. His wife has left him, you know, and he's by himself. His beloved children are gone. He's just just him on top of this hill in the middle of nowhere. It's, like, very picturesque, to say the least, that he's sending out his radio broadcast. And um, actually, are you guys Philip K. Dick fans at all? You know who that is? I don't. Hello? Uh, nope. He's a sci-fi writer. He was a sci-fi writer. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway, so like, well, he's he's up there. So like, you know, and um, you know, and and he's sending out his broadcast, and he more or less is threatening these guys to come up there and try to take them alive or dead, whatever. And he's going to shoot them, and they're going to shoot him, and that's the way it goes. And um, so one night, they just they just decide this is the night they're going to try to take him down, and um, the way. Cooper had, as I mentioned before, he had this habit as if that where he lives was sort of like the lover's lane of uh, the, the town, Eager, Arizona. Like if you wanted to like, you know, bang in the car, that's where you went because it was his house was the <laughs> only house on the hill. So, you know, he would go out sometimes and find his old, you know, condoms, you know, filled, you know, he didn't like that. So, um, I mean, who would? But, uh, and there'd be a lot of noise and music and stuff like that. So the idea was, and he would always try to chase people away, sometimes at gunpoint, sometimes not. Um, and he had a big dog, big scary dog. And um, so uh, 
the uh, what happened was um, he hears these people. He's the, but the cops' plan, which was seemed insane to me, um, was to go up there halfway up his hill, start to play a lot of loud music, have Cooper come out, and then when he came out, they they nab him because they didn't want him to. They didn't want this shooting. They didn't, you know, they were paranoid that he had all these guns and stuff like that inside of his house, which was not true. So, um, and there was a lot of cowboy stuff going on here. You know, you, you can imagine the situation with the people involved. You know, Bill Cooper is by far the most famous guy in the whole town, and here's the chance to take him down. You know, I mean, I don't think that you know the Apache County Sheriff sent seventeen guys up there. Well, seventeen <laughs> guys to get one guy with what he only has one leg. But it's not like he's going to be running for cover, that kind of stuff like that, you know? Yeah, is that um, really necessary? 17 officers for one man? Uh, no, I wouldn't think so, but, you know, that's what happened. So, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to look into the facts here, you know? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a reporter. So this is what happened. I sent 17 guys up there. Maybe there were even more, you know? Um, so, uh, and they try to get Cooper out of the house, you know, get him to, because he previously had come out on foot, even though he has only one leg. So they thought that was a leg, and that was that was something that they could do, you know, was give him an advantage. But this time he didn't do that. He came in his car, his truck, and he comes down the hill and says, "What are you guys doing here?" And they go, uh, "Hey, why don't you get out and have a party with us and all kinds of stuff?" And he looks at them and. Bill Cooper is a military guy. He's smart. He's also deeply paranoid. He's not going to go for this. This is the stupidest thing in the whole world. So he just gets back in his car and turns and tears back up the hill. And one of the deputies jumped on top of the running board of the car at the time. Cooper knocked him off. I mean, this is just like, you know, some kind of action movie. And then um, when he got up there, he was trying to get back into his house. And um, this is a this is one of those moments where you can't really tell what happened because he's trying to run back up into his house. The cops are under orders, more or less, to don't let him get back into the house because he's got all these weapons, you know, and then it's going to be Ruby Ridge or something like that all over again. Mm-hmm. And we don't want that. So, um, you know, we got to stop him. And, uh, and also there's, there's, there's the, um, the, the, countervailing theory that Cooper wasn't really trying to get up into his house to shoot it out with the cops. He wanted to get on the radio and announce what was happening, which actually I kind of ascribed to that, actually, um, that he wanted he wanted to get up there and like, you know, announce, and if, if he got killed, he'd be killed on the radio, which was like, you know, I don't know, what do you yeah. got? You guys are on the radio. What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, <laughs> Given his reputation, I mean, you know, if you want to go, you might as well go while you're on the air. You know, so. In any event, what happened was uh, Cooper never gets in his front door. The, the two of the cops come from a different angle, surprise him sort of, and he's wearing a wearing a thirty a thirty eight in a, in a kind of like um, not really a ballistic expert, but it's like one of those holsters that isn't the stress shoulder holsters around. It's kind of around his waist, and he pulls out his thirty eight and he starts shot, shooting. And he happened to hit one of these guys two times in the head. And the guy didn't die, which is kind of incredible. Um, but the other guy, you know, then he just unloaded, and that was the end of Bill Cooper. And the thing that is very kind of incredible and far more, 
far more interesting than his prediction of the 9-11 thing, I think, is that Bill Cooper would periodically say on the air, and you can find it, it's not hard to find, they're going to come up here and shoot me on my front doorstep at midnight. You know, and they came up there and they shot him on his front doorstep. That's where his head landed. And it was like maybe 10 minutes after midnight, so he was off by maybe 10 minutes, but not much, you know. And that's the real prediction. I mean, to be predict the moment, the place and moment of your own death, that's pretty, uh, I think that's pretty spooky. What do you think? Yeah. You know, I, 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 I kind of agree with him. You know, if, if this was happening to me, I would want it to be on air, too. I mean, you yeah, think this, no, I mean, you it's think this is an interesting idea. You think this approver film is something? Wait till you get this audio. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I don't know what was going through his mind, but that sounds good to me. You know, I mean, I'm not good, but I mean, it sounds believable. Um, knowing what I know about Bill Cooper, but um, but you do know, you I think just, that that uh, kind of fueled the conspiracy surrounding Bill Cooper? Though, was the fact that you know that this happened and it happened in this way? I mean, seventeen oh, deputies. Absolutely. Well, that's his main. That's his main legend. He predicts nine eleven. Then they kill him six weeks after nine eleven. That's that's the um, that's the kind of like um, you know right. That's the core of the Bill Cooper. I mean, aside from all the other stuff, I mean, you know, the whole the pale horse is is pretty much of like a textbook for a lot of stuff, and yeah. all the stuff that he did on the radio. I mean, that mystery Babylon stuff is fantastic. I think, you know, I'm not. I, w- I wouldn't, you know, to me, it's not exactly scholarship, but it's uh, for an autodidactic guy who's like kind of like just doing on his own research, you know, that was pretty great. And I'm a big fan of the uh, of the opening part, which I don't know if you know, but I mean, he, he, he wanted to start at the beginning. Mystery Babylon is telling the history of this evil that I'm talking about mm-hmm. back to the beginning of consciousness. That's, Cooper was like, he was nothing if not a completist. You know, he's, you know, if you're reading a comic book, a Superman comic book, the, the people that like the origin stories, you know, <laughs> those ones, you know, like, how did this really begin? You know, that part, the prequels, he was into that for sure. And he wanted to, he more or less rewrote this, the book of Genesis, the Garden of Eden book, you know, that, that whole story by claiming that, um, it was the metaphor for the Garden of Eden was in Stanley Kubrick's movie 2001. You know that film? Yes. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows, knows that film, right? Everybody knows that. So what Cooper said, which I thought was kind of brilliant, was that um, when the monkeys touch the monolith, that's when they get consciousness. That's when they get smart. That's when they become human beings. And there's something evil about that. That the monolith is a, is an evil object. It's kind of like, you know, he, des- he described it as a kind of like, uh, you know, Freemason kind of symbol or something like that. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and after that, you know, the intellect of man was always tainted with the devil, you know, which is basically what it says in the Bible, because they're not supposed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, but the fact that Cooper could use the same idea and updated to 1968, which is when that movie was made, which was the same year that he was in Vietnam getting shot at. Um, that's like, you know, poetry to me. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, special. 
thinking. Nobody does that kind of stuff. And he doesn't get any credit, you know, because he's supposedly a conspiracy theorist. Hmm. Wow, pretty amazing. Um, now, your book, Pale Horse Rider, um, the name is, you've sort of intended it as the four horsemen, the fourth horse? Well, he's, the, the, to me, the meaning to me is that he's the rider of the pale horse. You know, he's, and it's like sort of half a Paul Revere horse and half a pale horse. He's trying to wake people up. But he's also riding towards his own death. I mean, that's you know, that's just uh, some mm. poetic license that I took for, took for that title. But I like the way it sounds. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, that's what you want the title. It's a, it's yeah. a catchy, catchy. <laughs> now, now we'll have your book up on our website, Pale Horse Rider, and it's about William Cooper. Okay. Uh, the rise of conspiracy and the fall of trust in America. And Mark Jacobson's been our guest. And we really appreciate you um, talking about the book. I, I just bought the audio book just now. So uh, thank you for being on. Great. Did you hear that, everybody? Go out there and do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.